Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into remakes in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? For added clarification, uh, this is an episode about remakes, not reboots, uh, and not sequels or prequels, strictly remakes. Uh, And in most cases, it will be films with the exact same title. And not so much uh, my favorite ones or or the ones I like, but rather trying to figure out uh, what the reason for them is outside of, or maybe there isn't one outside of financial gain. Uh, and uh, what what the credibility of them is, and uh, seeing how worthwhile such an endeavor would be, because on one hand you have tons of tons of stories, uh, generally you know Shakespearean or, or uh, fairy tale stories that we've seen made over and over and over and over again uh, ad nauseum, and they have yielded a wide variety of results uh, from, you know, you look at something like Les Mis, uh, you know, the most recent big screen adaptation was nominated for Oscars, won Oscars. Uh, You look at something like Hamlet, uh, you know, it has had many iterations, many of which have been nominated for Oscars, many of which have been critically acclaimed. Uh, The Little Mermaid has had plenty of adaptations. You've had many um, Sherlock Holmes remakes constantly. And so, you know, some of these stories, some of these works, some of these IPs have kind of an inherent remakeability within them. And others maybe don't. And yet some of those others still get remade. And, um, you know, I, I don't know... You know, I'm not in any of those conversations. Most of us aren't. I don't think we really know the true reason why some of these movies are made. But we're gonna—I'm gonna try to sort of figure that out. Try to try to parse through uh, what what movies that at least what I move. So so we're gonna start with the movies I've seen that have been remakes. uh, At least movies I've seen um, two versions of, and then I'm gonna look into upcoming movies that are remakes, um, thanks to a handy little IMDb list. So that's that's kind of where we're going to, the, the trajectory, the, the skeleton of today's episode structure. So uh, I have sorted all the movies I have seen by title, and I'm just going to go down and stop every time I've seen movies with the same title and uh, go from there, which starts us out at 101 Dalmatians. Disney movies frequently remade, often by the same company, Um, in this case from animated in 1961 to live action in 1996. And uh, what's fascinating is is the remake, live action 101 Dalmatians, got a sequel. Uh, So it's not, so financially, uh, the remake was worthwhile. You know, I think most Disney remakes are going to be worthwhile financially. You just have to look at Beauty and the Beast and um, 
you know, upcoming The Lion King and The Jungle Book, all these movies, we'll get to them, but all of them financially successful, uh, pretty much hands down. And I don't know if that's as much to do with Disney as it is to do with, uh, or as much to do with it, the movies being remakes as it does to do with Disney, but, you know, we're, we're at that point. However, what, what else is worth making a 101 Dalmatians live-action movie. You know, why do... And, and, you know, further extrapolating, why do we need any Disney animated movie to become live-action? And generally, I think the thought process is that people disparage animated films. You know, animated films generally associated with kids... um, it's kind of like the the idea is that they are upgrading the movie for an older audience. They are drawing on your nostalgia. They are expecting that everyone who loved the animated film is going to come out and see the live action movie, uh, and they're going to then they're using that as a way to you know boot bolster that whole financial side of things, but. In my, in my opinion, however, I think that's very flawed logic. I don't think there's any reason to disparage animated films. I think they are perfectly suitable and comparable to live-action films already. And I think it's more of a mindset problem uh, that prevents people from recognizing that they have just as much artistic integrity, just as much artistic quality, just as much skill involved, uh, probably even more. There are far more people that work on an animated film than on a live-action film because of how many extra steps and uh, hoops you have to jump through. And yet every, you know, with one exception, um, before we moved the Best Picture category at the Oscars to more than five movies, uh, no animated film was nominated for Best Picture, and very few animated films got nominated in anything except original song and original score. Uh, and, you know, since the animated feature category, you know, that's changed, but uh, still, you know, that's that's substantial, you know? As a kid, you watch tons of animated films, and why why is that make them lesser. Uh, so so from that standpoint, you know, I get that the mindset is older people, even, you know, as young as teenagers, don't want to watch animated films necessarily. So let's make a live action Beauty and the Beast. Let's make a live action The Jungle Book or Cinderella. And that's fine. I, I think there's, I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, you know, especially when you, you know, looking at Beauty and the Beast, the animated version of that, in my opinion, is superior. The animated version of 101 Dalmatians is superior. But that doesn't mean that the sequel, that the remake didn't have some merit. Uh, you know, there is something to be said about seeing these films that were originally hand-drawn, even, or computer-animated, as live action. And that's... That, there's a reason there. There's something to that. Uh, you know, it's a different perspective. It is a different presentation. It allows you to experience this story in a different way. Now, um, that's not always 
the first time uh, Beauty and the Beast has had many iterations itself. None of uh, none of the live action versions have been the musical, however. So there's, you know, when you're copying the animated version of that of the the Disney movie as opposed to some of the original source materials, uh, there are many differences that come along with that. You need only look at the Jungle Book, you know. Um, you could say that the remake, live-action remake of the Jungle Book, was almost as animated as the original Disney movie, but the Jungle Book is more than that movie. You know, the story of it is far more, far wider and more expansive than we see in the Jungle Book, uh, as Andy Serkis's Mowgli will potentially show us. You know, it is not a musical, but it is uh, a riff on the Jungle Book, and it is far more. PG-13, and so for that, you know, I, I'm excited for Mowgli, uh, as I was excited for the Jungle Book, you know, I think when you can showcase um, visual effects in a way that had never been seen before, um, you know, Jungle Book went on to win Best Visual Effects at the Oscars, I think it is a worthy winner for that category, and that shows that there was a reason, I think, in my opinion. You know, not that the ends justify the means, and that it's a results a result based uh, qualification. Just that you know, they they entered this movie with this uh, you know this this idea of having a movie with talking animals is as live action. We've seen that before, but it's it's you know over the years we've seen it get better and better and better. And this was a movie that you know, similar to the Planet of the Apes series. Uh, really tried to go the extra distance uh, and really go the extra mile as far as the quality of visual effects. And it certainly did. And I think that the, the Lion King is attempting to do the same thing. And I hopefully, I hope it succeeds as well. I, I really do, because um, I'm really excited for that one. Um, what else do we got? Moving down the list here. What's got the same title? Still, still nothing. We're in the A's now. In the A's. Okay, here's a triple threat. Uh, I mentioned Shakespeare. Let's talk about Shakespeare. A Midsummer Night's Dream. I've seen three iterations of the film from 1935, 1968, and 1999. None of which have a rating higher than 60. Uh, so... That could be, that's another potential reason for uh, a movie to keep getting remade, especially one that has existed successfully as a novel or an, a TV show or, um, I don't know, you know, if it's existed in other media and it has had success in other media and hasn't quite translated to the big screen well, uh, you know, then there's going to be a lot of people trying to make that movie and become the first one to make a successful adaptation. Uh, there are plenty of other adaptations to A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I haven't yet seen. So this may have already happened yet. We may have had our successful and critically acclaimed variation of this film already, but I haven't seen it. I don't know. It's, you know, I think a good example of this could be the 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 movie Dune, which has had one adaptation as a film, but constantly in talks to have a second. And big part of the reason uh, as, as to why that is, is because the first adaptation 
didn't go so well. It wasn't really well liked. Uh, it wasn't well received. It felt it had a ton of production problems. Uh, and now we want somebody else to make it and make it correctly. So that's that's the other reason. You know, we want to make a film correctly. Uh, this generally happens with adaptations. You know, you have a source material. No one really thinks they need. No one at, at the present really thinks we need to remake uh, the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter because those adaptations were done right the first time. Uh, you know, they are very well liked, uh, loved, critically acclaimed, Oscar nominated, and winning movies in their own rights. And I think, in in that sense, remaking them would only tarnish the originals or be a waste. Uh, you know, because there, there's already, the bar is set so high, I'm not sure what you can do to, to better them. Whereas something like A Midsummer Night's Dream, I, I don't think we've hit, 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 it, hit it out of the park yet, you know? We've had great adaptations of Hamlet, we've had great adaptations of um, Much Ado About Nothing uh, in the past, but A Midsummer Night's Dream, I haven't seen it yet. So uh, that can kind of be extrapolated to plenty of other, other, especially Shakespearean stories, but, but most stories that, you know, are kind of ingrained in the culture and impossible to extricate. So for that reason, so you have this other reason now of, Okay, you can also, you can take an animated film, make it live action, or you can take a poorly made adaptation and try to make the right one. And maybe that requires approaching the subject matter in a different way. Maybe that requires um, a different uh, theme, a different genre, you know. If you look at Midsummer Night's Dream, yes, it's definitely a a fantasy rom-com, at its core, but all three of the movies I've seen, the only genres they count as are fantasy, comedy, romance. And it might meet, might be the situation where you have to t- twist that story a little bit in, as the film version and make it a little more dramatic or thrilling or, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe set it in a different time, make it a western or... Make it an adventure movie. You know, some something might have to change for that ver- that story to become, uh, you know, the film it needs to be. And you know, Shakespeare wasn't writing it to become a film; he was writing it for a play. And those are very, very different uh, things and different media's and mediums. Uh, and so you have to consider that. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of of the versions I've seen, they do often feel like stage plays, and for better or worse, for better or worse. Uh, just to skip down here, a different type of remake, we've got A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, same title, uh, the original from 1984, the, the remake in 2010, and this is very common in the horror genre, which is uh, remaking a movie, especially in the last 10 years, 
that had great great success uh and and recasting it uh with the hot young person of the time i don't know who was i don't remember who was in the remake of nightmare on elm street but ultimately what you end up with is a terrible movie that makes i don't know probably twice three times its budget at the box office because it costs so little to make and everyone forgets about it like the next year until you have another remake and everyone forgets about that and another one and everyone forgets about you know just just, this is a cycle and this is where i finally i first draw the line of there was no reason outside of financial gain and if that's the only reason then i don't think it's worthwhile i don't think um I, i don't literally i don't remember anything about the movie the the remake i don't know who was part of it i don't know what their goals were i I don't know uh, what other things that this person has done what other projects they've gone on to do uh, that have made working on a nightmare on elm street a stepping stone in any sense Uh, if it even if it was that for somebody i'm sure they could have found something more original more worthwhile to do Uh, this is it just it just this is this is a place where i don't i don't feel like this is a movie that needed it you know because the biggest thing especially for some of these horror franchises is that these are these are movies that already have upteenth sequels right like we've seen many many versions of nightmare on elm street i'm searching them all right now <laughs> so let me see here give me the list all right, related films. So, Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. The next year, you had Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. 87, you had Part 3, Dream Warriors. In 88, you had 4, The Dream Master. In 89, you had A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. In 91, you had The Final Nightmare. And in 94, you had New Nightmare. So, for 10 years, we got 7 total uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, not including uh, the Freddy vs. Jason movies that also came out that kind of expanded upon this character further and further. So the question is, and, and so then you have 2010's Nightmare on Elm Street, and this is a movie, I'm looking at it now, it starred Rooney Mara, you know, definitely... Uh, a name at that time and as freddie you had jackie earl haley who to be fair is a perfect casting choice to play freddie and so maybe that was why you know but but at the same time it just it didn't amount to anything it didn't get anywhere it didn't achieve or any results that that made making the movie worthwhile and I'm sure we're going to hit on a couple more of those further on, uh, with especially with horror remakes. So, for example, I gave the original Nightmare on Elm Street an 81, gave the remake a 16. So, not, not quite a movie I'm blown away by. So, uh, let's move on. Let's see where else we go. What else is there? So many um, 
sequels that catch me off guard. Um, moving down here, Alice in Wonderland, animated to, to live action, another Disney film that got that treatment. Um, I don't have any problem with it. I think that there are... So, so here's, I think, here's another a- angle for this, and I think the same can be said, will be said about Dumbo uh, when Tim Burton remakes Dumbo as Tim Burton was the one who did Alice in Wonderland. Uh, as an auteur, he is, he has a reason. You know, the original Alice in Wonderland was animated. It had its own style, its own je ne sais quoi. But ultimately, it was, you know, it wasn't an auteur type of movie. It's not, you know, doing anything that you wouldn't expect an Alice in Wonderland movie to do. And... Tim Burton gets a hold of this movie, and he's going to give you something, no matter what the source material, no matter what the premise, no matter who's in it, no matter what it's about, uh, he's going to give you something that is different from the vast majority of other people who could make this movie. And for a movie like Alice in Wonderland, I think that's great. I think that is a perfect uh, decision. You know, he he really has the same sensibilities as... Uh, what this movie, as the world that this movie inhabits, does. And I really liked Alice in Wonderland, the remake. I didn't like it as much as the original animated film, but I did really like it. And uh, I think that he's going to hopefully achieve the same success in, uh, hopefully more success, because I I think the first Alice in Wonderland is is very much um, mixed reviews. But hopefully he achieves far more success with Dumbo uh, than he did with Alice in Wonderland. So you have this other side of things, and I, I'm, I've mentioned perspective and and before in terms of remakes, but uh, you know that kind of ties into both changing an animated film into a live action film, but also you know giving someone who has a particular style, who has a particular process. And letting them show this story in a way that no one has ever seen it before, and uh, you know that goes far beyond Tim Burton. You know, you can do this. You could run the same experiment with someone like, uh, like Wes Anderson, um, or or a Michael Bay. You know, these are all tours who make movies one kind of way, and you can instantly recognize whose movie it is uh, from the first few minutes of it. And so Michael Bay's Alice in Wonderland would be absurd, you know? That doesn't necessarily mean it would have to be a bad movie. It doesn't mean it wouldn't work at all. But it would definitely be a different kind of movie. And at least that would make it, give it some reason to exist. Some reason, right? We need some reason to make this happen. And uh, it's it's not not happening. Here we here's here's another ver- version of the remake why we why it shouldn't exist generally speaking, the movie All the King's Men. So this came out the original came out in 1949, and the sequel came out in 2006. And the original movie from 1949 is well received. It is a Best Picture winner. Uh, also winning Oscars for Best Lead Actor, Best Supporting Actress, and four other Oscar nominations that year. So, pretty well-liked movie. Um, the sequel had no Oscar nominations, 
was not critically well received. Uh, it has an average rating of 6.2 on IMDb, whereas the original 7.5, and on IMDb anything lower than a 7 is terrible because only people only rate in tens and ones. However, this is this is the point, right? This is this is why some of these big, you know, best picture winning movies are getting remade and it's because they've had success in the past. So they can have success again, right? Like, you know, you look at a movie, oh man, now I'm not going to now I'm going to blank on all these all the times that this applies nowadays. Um what would be a good example? Didn't really happen in 2017. But um da, 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 da. Man, when has it happened last? Now I don't know. Um It's definitely happened relatively recently, I thought. But I could be wrong. Like Les Mis, um, I keep going to Les Mis though, there has to be a better example, or more examples at least. Um, and I cannot immediately find one. How frustrating. True Grit, okay. We can go back to 2010 for True Grit, which was a remake um, that worked. Okay, so in this same vein, True Grit worked where All the King's Men did. And the reason, my opinion, is I couldn't tell you one whit about All the King's Men, the remake. And looking it up, it was made by Steve Zalian. Uh, Steven Zalian, who is a decent writer, not the best director. He's written Moneyball, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Schindler's List. Um... Uh, he wrote Mission Impossible, the first one, uh, Gangs of New York, The Interpreter, American Gangster. Uh, he's written a lot of stuff, right? He's, 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 he's got a resume, for sure, as a writer. Um, as a director, he directed, he directed three movies, All the King's Men being the last one, and uh, hasn't directed since. And so, if you're not putting tested people on these movies you know you have to you know i don't know what steve zalian doesn't really have a he's not an auteur he doesn't bring a special anything to a movie at least definitely not as a director but when you look at a movie like true grit uh you have the coen brothers directing it and the coen brothers <clears throat> definitely do bring something special to movies that they touch and uh, to that effect, <clears throat> man, True Grit was updated for modern times. It was given a complete overhaul and ultimately uh, led to prosperity. And so you get this, I, you, some of these movies, <clears throat> True Grit, All the King's Men, and I'm sure we'll find more as, as we go along, that... The idea here is not just to update them for modern times, but to recapitalize on whatever worked the first time. And by that I mean, if the first movie won Best Picture, surely there's a market for the movie now. 
And my issue with that uh, is, why not just play the second, the remake, or, or play the original? You know, you think about it. I, I think tons of people would love to go out and see. I, I don't know, random 1950s Best Picture winner. Um, so like, on the waterfront, or from here to eternity, uh, Marty, or around the world in 80 days. Uh, which is a remake, so we'll get to that. But I, I think there are movies that don't need to be remade, could just be re-released, and would just as easily achieve the financial gains that the remake might. Maybe not to that extent, but you also don't have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising and budget, so you're just netting profit at that point. And, and so, like, I, I, it just seems very obvious uh, to me. But, you know, what do I know? So, you know, you have this other side of things, which is like, this is an Oscar player. It used to be. Let's make it another Oscar player. And occasionally this happens and works, like Les Mis or True Grit. But All the King's Men didn't really work. Um, you have the inverse uh, of the animated to live action adaption, uh, version, which in movies like Anastasia, which in 1956 was a live action movie, and then in 1997 became an animated Disney, or not Disney, animated musical. And uh, this is an interesting direction, uh, not a process we see that often, and what results in it in my opinion, is the whole point of this was to make this story suitable for kids. And not that Anastasia is necessarily, the original at least, is, isn't satisfactory and suitable for kids, but to make it especially suitable for kids. You have a movie that now has music, it's singing, it's dancing, it's, it's effectively dumbed down. There's a far bigger fantasy element in the animated version. Um, more to that point, you know, the dramas or the genres for the live action version, it's just drama. It's just a drama. For the animated version, it's a musical, it is a fantasy, it is a comedy, it's also a drama. Uh, you know, it covers a, a much wider spectrum. And you know, it's, you know, hardly even the same story as the original Anastasia. So it's been, you know, not in a negative connotation, but it's been bastardized to the point where they're very, very different movies. And that's fine. Like, I think that's perfectly reasonable as a remake. I think if you're going to change the movie so substantially then there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you think that you can adjust a film and you can change it to make it worthwhile, to make give us a fresh take on this story that we've seen before, that we know, that we've lived and breathed, then you know more power to you because that's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's a very difficult undertaking. So I, I think there's a lot of meaning and, and purpose behind something like that and I you know I think Anastasia showcases that pretty well you know I think the original is okay 
I think the remake is great. I, I love the animated version. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's well written, well voice acted, uh, well animated, and uh, just works. It works on so many levels that the original didn't. And maybe it's a movie that, or a story that needed to be told as, a, as an animated musical. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure in the future we will get a remake of the live-action version again. And we'll see uh, if they decide to stay, stay closer to the animated version or the original live-action version. Or go a completely different direction altogether. I think that there's, you know, cause to do any of them. Um, let's see. Uh, I mentioned Around the World in 80 Days. That got a remake uh, that did financially okay, I believe, but was ultimately a disappointment. And, you know, they they really twisted the style of the movie so that it became far more slapsticky, far more uh, silly and comedic not that the original wasn't a comedy but that the remake really steered further into it you know casting steve coogan kind of uh limits your your range uh, at least at the time it did i think now he was he would be more capable of providing a more layered performance but at the time he was pretty much only a comedic actor um we're only eight in the a's so man this is gonna take a lot longer than i thought let's already i don't know i don't, I don't know if i've covered every single type of remake there is, but I want to talk about the upcoming ones and whether or not they need to be made. So I have this list on IMDb. Uh, it's all upcoming movie remakes uh, from 2018 to 2022. And excluding the movies that have already come out, it is a list 123 titles long. Uh, so some of these are just uh, just announced and just kind of in way before pre-production. So I'm going to ignore those and uh, just kind of go through the ones at least in order of release. Uh, so starting the next remake to come out uh, is supposedly A Star is Born. It comes out October 5th. And it has received a ton of hype, a ton of press. It is expected to be a big Oscar contender this year, directed by actor Bradley Cooper, starring Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, Sam Elliott, Greg Grunberg, among others. I have seen the original A Star is Born uh, fairly recently, actually, and I thought it was good. Uh, I, I think there was a lot of room for improvement, and I'm hoping, hopefully, you know, A Star is Born, the remake, can pull this off. Uh, now, it if, if you've seen the trailer, which I haven't, then you are very well aware that this is a movie that, if you know the original, they look nothing alike. Part of that is just being updated from modern times, but uh, the original A Star is Born is, is, I don't know, it takes, you know, it's a film star who's coaching a young actor, whereas this one is a musician who's helping a young singer and actress. So it's a little twisted. Uh, you know, it, it feels a little more country, and um, but it's pretty much the same plot. You know, age and al alcoholism are, are key components of both films, and I think that there's 
I don't know. I don't know. You know, clearly, uh, Bradley Cooper and the team behind him, the team working with him, think that this is a meaningful remake to have. The original uh, certainly made a name for itself. It was nominated for six Oscars, so that's you know, that's that's a strong legacy to live up to, and. Uh, all the buzz I've heard about this, the remake, is positive. And I'm going to lump the next movie in with this one as well, as it's pretty much in the same position, which is Suspiria, which comes out November 2nd. I have seen the original. Uh, however, the difference here being I didn't wasn't a big fan of the original. Uh, but the sequel, uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino, who is, uh, you know, he, he was the one who made Call Me By Your Name, you know he's got he's got his own track record and he's he's a very well liked director in Hollywood and you know he got a best he got an Oscar nominations last year for Call Me by Your Name and Suspiria has had just like A Star Is Born a lot of good buzz a lot of positive buzz uh, I think both trailers are very well liked and well received everyone's really excited for them so. But but why? But what made them choose these projects, and and what drew them to these movies, uh, which, in effect, uh, are, you know, why why not make their own films? Why why not write that? Find brand new films, brand new stories, to tell. You know, they don't even. They could have been similar stories. Uh, you know, you can still do. Um, horror mystery fantasy movie it doesn't have to be Suspiria you can still do a musical drama it doesn't have to be A Star is Born uh, and you know I think there's two reasons the first one name recognition very obvious very straightforward people know the name Suspiria people know this name A Star is Born and they can connect it to something they know what they're getting into I get that fine Second, however, I think is a little more nuanced and hopefully more realized when you see the film. And that reason, in my opinion, is to is to fix things. And uh, not to fix things, maybe that's the wrong term, but rather to uh, showcase this story in a new way shine a new light on something we're aware of so you think about something you know going back to say the live action remakes that disney is doing uh you know these are animated films they are classics they are ingrained in society they are still shown to kids even today lion king is timeless it's it's you know it's one of the longest running broadway productions it is uh you know an Oscar-winning film in its own right, and, you know, a staple in every child home, you know, since the mid-90s. Why make a new one other than for the money? Well, because now you can show it in live action, because now we have the visual effects to pull off talking animals, uh, singing animals even, uh, you know, because now, you know, we have all these changes. We can make all these updates. We can make the film a little less cartoony, you know, uh, we can make it feel real. Uh, you know, we can bring this story into a new age. Okay, so the idea here with *A Star Is Born* and *Suspiria*, which are not kids' movies, they are both rated R. 
is uh, to a great extent, you know, just like The Lion King, both of these original movies are well received, critically acclaimed, and you know, I think there's something to be said for trying to present these movies, these stories in a different light. And, uh, you know, I, most of us haven't seen them. So granted, we're not sure yet if Suspiria or A Star is Born's remakes are exactly worth the investment, worth the time. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Now, on the other hand of that, other side of that, other side, complete other side of that, uh, coming in November 21st is the Robin Hood remake. And uh, <laughs> that is uh, gotten bad, all written all over it. And, uh, you know, having heard uh, a self-proclaimed Robin Hood expert discuss this movie and, and why it is going to be unnecessary i i totally agree i think that there are so many better versions of the robin hood story uh that would be more exciting more interesting to see this is not that uh you know this is it, it just it just screams cash grab and i think that that makes it unnecessary and worthless worthless yes um you know, looking down the list here, what else do we have? We have a Nosferatu remake in post-production for 2018. We have a Hellboy remake in post-production for 2019. Jacob's Ladder remake, 2019. Uh, we have the aforementioned Dumbo from Tim Burton in 2019. Pet Cemetery in post-production next year. Aladdin next year. Uh, Charlie's Angels. Shaft. Starring Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Grudge. Untitled Terminator reboot. Um, you know, all these things. Mowgli, which I mentioned earlier. Spawn. A new Spawn movie from Todd McFarlane. Uh, Sword in the Stone remake. Announced. Uh, Mulan remake filming. Uh, which I'm excited about. I think this movie has potential i think it has an as a, as a direction as as a perspective that we need uh so so this is another element of you know what do you ha what happens and and there's criticism for this as well but we'll get to that but you have this movie mulan the animated version where uh it's a disney movie a disney not exactly princess, but kind of princess movie with a female heroine, lead hero, who uh, is strong, intelligent, um, and capable in many, many ways. And you get this story about her saving her entire country from this formidable threat, uh, and not just once, but, well, I, I guess in all in all once, but twice, kind of, throughout the film, and doing so at first uh, under disguise as a man, and at, in the second instance, um, actually, as a woman. 
And there are some incredibly great themes in this movie. And I love Mulan. I love the original. It is one of my favorite movies. And I'm not upset that they are remaking it. I don't think it's going to take away from the live a- or from the animated version. I think you know Disney's track record in their live action films is competent at worst. So I think that there's more than enough go- positives heading into this. You also have director Nikki Caro, who I think is fantastic. I'm glad they have a female director. She is a from New Zealand. She directed North Country. Uh, the Zookeeper's Wife, Whale Rider, which I'm particularly fond of, uh, among others. And uh, so, you know, capable hands, uh, capable cast of authentic, real um, Chinese people in the cast, uh, including Donnie Yen, Jet Li, Yifei Lu as Mulan. Uh, so... The movie is, you know, on track to be, you know, all all the pieces are kind of lining up together. They're making, you know, and what's further is, um, you know, this is a movie that we need. You know, if Crazy Rich Asians is telling us anything is that there are you know, between Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther, there are incredibly large, wide swaths of untapped markets of people who don't feel represented on the big screen, people who don't feel like they've seen themselves in a movie in quite some time. You know, the statistic, it's been 25 years before Crazy Rich Asians, before there was a Hollywood movie with an all-Chinese cast, um, or Asian cast, Asian-American cast. I think I don't think it's specifically Chinese. I think Asian American is the technical statistic. Um, so you know it's been forever, right? It's been so long, and uh, what's going on is you end up with uh, you get this movie now, you get Mulan, and that's awesome. I think that's amazing. I think that's worth having. Um, the tiny criticism that I alluded to before is why not, why does it have to be a remake to get this, to achieve this? You know, Crazy Rich Asians isn't a remake and it's done incredibly well at the box office. It has received critical acclaim and, you know, it's based on a novel and I'm sure there are plenty of other books, plenty of original stories, plenty of original ideas that could have also translated into an all Chinese cast, um, that would have served just the same purpose as Mulan does. Uh, but again, it's it's the name recognition. You know, this isn't a you know the intent is not to draw in just the Asian American viewers. It's to draw in everyone, and everyone knows the story of Mulan. So you don't pigeonhole yourself by using the story uh, by using this titular hero who is well-known and and has made her mark countless times uh, on and imprinted herself in the minds of who knows how many kids uh, through the animated film. So, I mean, this is great. I'm super excited for this. I think it'll be a great thing, and it should be better. 
I mean, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be better than the animated version, but it should be worthwhile and should be worth seeing. I, I think, you know, I think this is another avenue where if you can make a movie, you know, th- th- some obscure movie, um, like a foreign movie or an animated movie or something that has a theme or has an element to it that we don't see often, like a female heroine uh, in this instance, um, or like um, a, a quote-unquote minority lead or cast even, uh, like, you know, just non-white people, non-male people, you know, that is meaningful, that is relevant in today's society, and I think worth seeing and worth making furthermore. And I'm sure Mulan isn't the only film like this on the horizon. Um, as I'm looking down the list here, you've got Big Trouble in Little China, starring Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. There's some other announced remakes. Uh, the Crow, The Invisible Man, starring Johnny Depp. We'll see if that works and gets made. Um announced The Legend of Conan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Don't know. Scarface, from Antoine Fuqua, starring Diego Luna. Uh, Van Helsing, starring Channing Tatum. Mm. We'll see about that. Um, Chad Stahelski's Highlander. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't know. What else do we have here? Another Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Awesome. Remake of The Craft from 1996. That could be interesting. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's been super removed, but uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Female-led movie. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? The Blob, starring Samuel Jackson. Fletch 1. Is this the same movie? Is this the Fletch movie? Yeah. A f- so a third Fletch movie that I don't think will have uh, Chevy Chase in it, maybe? Doesn't have a list of actors, so I don't know. But Fletch won. W-O-N. Roadhouse remake. Oh, boy. Stargate from Roland Emmerich. Akira live-action version as opposed to the anime another Nosferatu film starring Anya Taylor-Joy directed by Robert Eggers Fantastic Voyage from Guillermo del Toro Escape from New York from Robert Rodriguez Voltron Alien Nation Flash Gordon Logan's Run I Know What You Did Last Summer of course horror movie like I mentioned in the past American Psycho uh, you know, Hellraiser, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Thomas Crown Affair, Little Shop of Horrors from Greg Berlanti. That's interesting. Thomas Crown Affair starring Michael B. Jordan. Ex- oh boy. Expendables. Expendables with women. I mean, I'm not opposed to a female a cr- band of a, a team of women as an in an action movie but like do they have to call it that i hope that name changes the never-ending story 
Um, what else? <clears throat> Private Benjamin remake starring Rebel Wilson, which I am not excited for. Uh, Red Sonia could be fun. Female, yeah. Short Circuit, oh boy. Dirty Dancing, Firestarter, Flight of the Navigator, The Orphanage, Commando. Okay, we're we're all right. We're getting a little far outside of the realm of even close to necessarily being made. But I guess the whole point being, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there are plenty of good reasons to remake a movie. Uh, and maybe not even good, but like there are pl- plenty of real reasons to remake a movie. Uh, whether you're moving a movie from a different format, uh, as an animated or foreign language, or, or, you know, or you're pumping it up from kids-friendly to adult-friendly or vice versa... Uh, those are all real reasons and worth looking into and, and exploring. You have authorship, uh, like a Johnny Depp or a Coen Brothers or a Wes Anderson, and and so on and so on, uh, who can you know present you a film that you haven't seen that way before, and that's also fascinating. That's also worth looking into, and that's also worth checking out. You have, um. I don't know. You just there, there's there's reasons, and then there's not reasons. You know, then you end up with the all the king's men's of the world. You have all these horror remakes that just keep coming and coming and coming, and um, they generally just yield nothing. They they make it. It just it's there's no point to it, and it's it's frustrating because you know they're taking up time, energy, and finance finances from other movies that we may have never even we may now never get but could at least have been interesting or new or or something other than a movie we've seen before just with new younger people in it and uh, that's that's really not worth it in my opinion um yeah i'm i'm Still looking through some of the other films, seeing if there's any other remakes and stuff I want to mention before signing off for today's episode. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Just so many sequels. I'm scrolling through all those scary movies and Saw movies. Um, I don't know. You've got, um, I, don't, I don't know if I really count that, Samson and Delilah, uh, you have the original, not the original, but the 1949 version, live action, I believe Oscar nominated for something, uh, but then you have the, nine, the 2009 foreign language Academy Award winning film, Samson and Delilah, which doesn't exactly follow the same plot, you know, it's not quite as religious and anything but it, it but it's more in in reverie of of the story and the connection between the two names and characters so that's you know that's a very big departure from the original film and story to the point where i wouldn't necessarily even call it a remake it's so far removed um romeo and juliet more shakespeare Again, uh, yeah, that's another element I was I didn't rehash, which is 
making the good version. You know, there's something to be said of making the good version. Um, I think there are a lot of times where people, I can't think of any examples, but where you're trying to re- make a good version of something that doesn't necessarily have a good version to it. Uh, but in the case of Shakespeare, I think all Shakespearean works have a good version to them. I think those stories are so timeless and so effortless even that there has to be a good version of them somewhere. And uh, in the case of Romeo and Juliet, you know, the best one I've seen is a 67. And uh, that's that leaves a lot of room to go to go better, to go bigger. So I, I think that there's definitely room for that one as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think in equal parts, uh, people unnecessarily malign remakes well before they come out, well before, you know, as soon as they're announced, like, oh, they're going to remake this movie. Well, that's stupid. Uh, and... At the same time, I think there's also like, oh, they're remaking, you know, people get needlessly excited about remakes on the other hand. So I I think it kind of cuts both ways. And what happens is you end up with all these remakes of safe horror movies, safe movies that are just going to make money. Uh, You can can put Disney movies in this category too. Although I think, unlike the horror movies, they are capable of actually providing us with something beyond just cash grabs and i think people need you know i think people immediately reduce these disney live action remakes to cash grabs and i think that's wrong i think that's not true and i think there's far more to it than that you know i particularly think something like the jungle book definitely was worth the time and effort put into it i think um beating the beast Maybe not as much. I, I think there was definitely some issues with Beauty and the Beast that it didn't need to be remade. Uh, but Cinderella, I think, served a purpose. Alice in Wonderland from John, uh, from Tim Burton's Altor, Altorness, Altorship, Altorism, ship. Uh, I think his added element to bringing that movie a different to a different place gave it the 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 necessary adjustments it needed to be separate from the original Uh, i'm hoping that the same can be said of dumbo and will also be said of the lion king and aladdin and so on and so on and so on i think those are movies that are far more than just cash grabs Uh, i don't doubt that that is a big part of why they are made but i think that there is more to it than that in my opinion that's that's where i'm at uh, so, I don't know. I, I'm sure I missed a lot of a lot of big remakes talking about this. Um, Point Break remake, uh, for what that's worth, uh, is is a thing. Um, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles remake. Uh, just coming off the top of my head now. Now that we're at the end of the episode, <laughs> um, the Parent Trap remake. You know, I don't know what. I, that that's an interesting one because I like the remake more, but I don't know why it needed to happen. I don't think it really brought a lot more to it, but I do like it more. So uh, the Overboard remake, absolutely unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. 
Uh, Ghostbusters, also unnecessary. You know, if you want... Like, I'm of the opinion that if you want to remake these movies so that um, you can have female leads, just make it a new new property. It does not have to be the same old property. Make it a new property. I think that would just serve everyone better. But what do I know? Because I think... For me, is what I feel as though you put, you want a female-led cast in a big movie. You want your movie to make money to further support the idea that audience, film audience members and film go film film watchers want these movies. So you attach a pre-existing IP that has a rabid fan base like Ghostbusters to the movie, so that at the very least it's going to make some amount of money, and. That seems, uh, you know, silly to me. I think, you know, you, you're you kind of stacking the deck in that instance. Yes, yes, there's kind of a bare minimum amount of money a movie with the Ghostbusters title is going to make. But by doing that, you, one, set yourselves up for failure because a movie like the Ghostbusters remake didn't particularly do that great at the box office, relatively speaking, and you're already comparing it to the original, which, as a movie that's as beloved as Ghostbusters, is going to end up paling in comparison. Uh, and likewise, you're fudging the numbers so that you don't necessarily know that people do want these types of movies. And I think, you know, you, you, you at least financially, you cannot prove it. Whether or not that's true, I think, obviously, I think they're everyone does want these movies but you can't show it based on the finances that ghostbusters made because everything you know you've distorted the metric so far that it's it's not really meaningful anymore which sucks because i you know i would love to see more movies with female leads and for better or worse you know ghostbusters didn't exactly at the end of the day, I don't think it helped nor hurt that cause because it, you just you can't read anything into how much money it made and what critical acclaim it got and so on and so forth. Like it's all just completely bastardized by the fact that there was an original one and that and people didn't really want a remake. And then it it has to it just it has the attached name and it just it didn't work for me. So I don't know remakes. Um, they can take them or leave them. I don't know. There, there's good reasons and there's bad reasons. And I think you're... Uh, if, if you're not careful, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And most people aren't... Most filmmakers, producers, companies, etc. They're not careful enough making these movies and picking the right ones. There are so many fantastic ideas out there that didn't get their time to shine in the original version that could be remade and uh, that's that's a completely different episode but i guess i guess summing up i'm not opposed to remakes as i think i've kind of hinted at and, and explained but i do think that there are many times where uh remakes are just for money and i think that is a pointless endeavor and frustrating very frustrating So, 
that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you would like to check out anything else from the uh, podcast, any information, Circle of Film Awards, top 10 lists, all that kind of stuff, previous episodes, head over to circleoffilm.com. If you would like to check out uh, me, get in touch with me, you can head over to circleoffilm at gmail.com to email me or at circleoffilm on Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show, check out patreon.com slash circleoffilm and uh, support the show for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you so much, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.